My name is Stephanie Dodier, clinical nutritionist. I reversed my diagnosis of anxiety, depression, adrenal fatigue, and obesity by going beyond the food. I can tell you one thing, that willpower, discipline, and deprivation aren't the permanent solution to transforming your relationship to food. So how do you leave overeating, emotional eating, food craving, and binging behind you so you have the food freedom to achieve all of your goal and be happy now? As a top 25 alternative health podcast in the world, this is the Beyond the Food Show. I have created an audio training entitled How to Change Any eating habit, specifically the one that is sabotaging you, three strategy to create the consistency and confidence you need to change your eating habit without willpower or discipline. I did this in order to help women like yourself engage with food in a completely different perspective so that they stop craving, overeating, binging, and using food to feel better. You can put an end to the cycle of frustration, the all-or-nothing mindset, and shame towards your own body and become a motivated, consistent, focused, and self-loving version of yourself. This free audio training is about the why we eat, how we eat, so that the what we eat can be easy, effortless, and pleasurable. So if you are ready to step into the new version of yourself so that you can change how you interact with food, head over to stephaniedodzie.com slash training right now. Welcome to the show, Christina. Hi, thank you, Stephanie. Christina is a digital friend of mine. I don't even remember how we met on the world of Instagram, but somehow we've met. And I always truly enjoy everything you put on Instagram. So I call you a friend of mine now. Thank you. I feel the same way. And part of this is because we're really aligned to what we believe into and how we approach health. And that's why I've asked Christina to be on the podcast. And I wanted to support her book launch, although typically I will not broadcast anything about food or diet, but I believe she can be a source of inspiration to you. So to get us started, let's start with how Christina became a public figure. And now she's writing a book like, what's your journey? What's your story? Wow, it's been a crazy one. I feel everyone always thinks that there's this like one set path to make it, you know, a certain to do this, what I do. And I'm just like a mom and a person who likes to cook. You know, I don't feel like there's anything other than just being open with myself and about my struggles. I think nowadays people feel very isolated because there's so much noise online and with media and we're in constantly absorbing other people's lives. That's like a weird thing that our like generation or just, it's such a reality of like, Nowadays, we're constantly watching other people like live like it's a, it's a very voyeuristic, like just generation we've got. And I think that there's so much that out there that's curated. When I kind of found my way online, I just didn't know how to be other than myself. And I think that's what's gotten to me where I am. But to backtrack, I was a restaurant chef for many years. And I became a stay at home mom after I had my son and my husband's in the military. 
And that's how I started blogging. And I had no idea what blogging was, but my friends were like, you should blog, put your food online. I was like, huh? And I was like, I just thought like I would post pictures on Instagram and like that would be a job. And that's not how it works. So, so you don't make money <laughs> posting stuff on Instagram. I yeah. learned the hard way. I was like, oh, hold on. There's more to this. But what I learned when I first started posting pictures of like the very, very first early things of food that I posted were it was just that it was just food. Cause I was a chef. Right. But mm -hmm. at that point I was two years postpartum. I was unhealthiest. I was very sad. I was very depressed. I think I had a little bit of postpartum depression. I was newly moved to Hawaii, no support system. And I wasn't well, I was 29 years old, about to turn 30. And I was miserable, like fatigue. I didn't have energy to play with my son. And what quickly became an obsession almost was sharing this like cathartic experience of just connecting with people. I think I was really lonely, right? And I found connection through that online community and started sharing recipes, but then it turned into sharing my journey. And I have a pretty gnarly skin condition. It's hydrodenitis superativa, and it's an inflammatory autoimmune skin condition, which causes abscesses and boils and very delicate areas of the bodies. It's notoriously hard to diagnose. It's really hard to put into remission. It's affected by stress, sugar, dairy, hormones, everything. <laughs> and a lot of people have different things that you know make it act up. So you kind of have to become your own investigator. <laughs> so let me pause here for a minute to properly story all of this. Did you know this when you came online or that's something you discovered while you like two years ago when you were depressed and just had a child, or you've been dealing with that for a long time? Oh, I've been dealing with this since I was a teenager. Ah, teenager. Preteen. Oh. Talk about, yes, yes. Um, imagine exploring, like, you know, your body and sexuality and dating with this. It wasn't very good. It's weird because I think a lot of the issues that I had and a lot of the trauma that I, like, just built up because of, like, self-esteem issues, it's all bottled together. It's like I was already an overweight kid. Then on top of that, I developed a skin condition. And so I had this like, just a really, really bad body image, really, really low self-esteem, which then in turn kind of snowballed into really bad habits. Like as a young kid, teenager, I did a lot of drugs. Mm. I grew up in Miami. So yeah. everyone was doing drugs. But party <laughs> scene, right? Yeah, very much into the party scene. Very unhealthy relationships with you know men in my life. Very unhealthy. Even I think toxic friendships and that kind of thing. Just a lot of feelings of unworthiness and not feeling good enough. So that all really snowballed into just being this adult that hadn't processed any of that. That was still dealing with this condition that was getting worse. So after pregnancy, it started spreading to different areas of my body. And yeah, so I had only had it on my inner thighs really and mildly under my arms until then. And after I, when I was nursing my son, I started getting it under my breasts. And I felt like, oh, hell no. Like, <laughs> not you're not taking my boobs. I like no. my boobs. Leave them alone. So just to, to make clear, it's like boils on the skin. Yeah. They get yeah. inflamed. They get inflamed. Oftentimes they open. And so what happens is you get like these open kind of wounds. And when Ooh. you're, when the hydrodenitis is at its worst, yeah. like stage four, stage five, what happens is that these wounds don't close. They'll stay open for months at a time and they just oh. kind of seep and hurt. And oftentimes they get infected and there's people on disability. There's people who get entire areas of their bodies cut out to remove the affected skin but even surgery doesn't 
promise anything. People then start getting it over their surgical scars. So you add those boil, they retracted and then they created scars. Yeah. Yeah. So then there's scars oh. now. I mean, it's my disease, but luckily the hygienized is in remission, but there's very dark and textured scars over many areas of my body. So we're going to divert a little bit here. We'll get to what you did to go in remission because that's the whole other thing. But I can only imagine the shame around exposing a teenager body that had scars like this. Yeah, it was. And growing up in Miami. So of oh. course, beach days, pool parties, boat yes. things like and it's weird because in an odd way. So I never wore shorts, which is weird because now if you know me, I'm always yes, in shorts. Yes. <laughs> so I only wore pants and then I would wear skirts. But there was this whole thing with skirts where like if I walked with like my thighs, just like making sure my, my legs were always touching very tightly to like not expose anything. And I wore lots of band-aids. I always wore shorts at the beach to cover up. It consumed so much of my energy to hide this from people all the time. And that carried on to what age you stop <sighs> hiding it? Is it like recently or that's? No, or... recently. I mean, oh. even let's say with my marriage. So yes. with my, the guy who's my husband now, we've been together like eight years. And I remember with him, we had a conversation before we were intimate where I like vaguely explained and he was mm -hmm. like, I don't care. I was like, okay, but we never like talked about it. And at that point I was still having flare ups. So if I had something going on, I wasn't telling him like, Hey, this hurts or Hey, this is happening. I would just kind of bandage it. And then like, same thing, play that whole kind of mm -hmm. avoidance game. So it definitely affected, of course, even just the way that I had relationships and I was intimate with people. And it wasn't until very recently that with my husband once after my son and when I got serious about like, okay, I have to do something about this, that I was able to have actual conversations with him. Like, no, this is the full extent of the condition. This is what happens. Like, this is why there's blood stains on the sheets. You know, it's not, oh my God. Like I remember I was at a wedding once and I was sitting there, you know, during the ceremony, I had a really pretty silk dress on. And when I got up from my chair, there was a stain on the chair and everyone assumed it was my period, but it wasn't, it was, a boil that had opened and seeped onto the chair. Like mm. it was leaking and how embarrassed. So of course I just played off the, Oh my God, I got my period. Card. Yeah, 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 obviously. Which you would think would be embarrassing, but I wasn't embarrassed about who cares. Like that's a great excuse. Well, on the scale of embarrassment for you, it's a lot less than the boil. Exactly. And luckily because at that point I was so, you know, this was my life. I actually took a backup dress to the wedding. Yeah. So I had a dress to change into because I thought this could happen. So that was my life for so, so, so long. So this will resonate a lot with a lot of women because I relate to my own journey. Like it was about hiding my ties and hiding my arms, not because I had scars on it, just because they were too fat or they weren't too thin. Like there was always a reason for that. And I never wore shorts ever right. until right. like my early 40s. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because on top of that, I've also been overweight my whole life. So there's been a lot of but I dealt with that in different ways. I think when I was younger, I actually dressed, I did the opposite. It was like, even though I was ashamed of my body, I still exposed a lot of it. Huh. Almost like put it on the market. See, <laughs> see who likes what? Just because I really, I didn't care if it was negative attention. I think I just wanted attention from guys to like <laughs> validate myself. Like I not healthy. And people are like, how did you deal with intimacy when you yeah. were young and with your condition? And I'm like, not well, not, not well. Not well, not healthy, not healthy at all. There's you didn't a have of... a fully bloomed sexuality. <laughs> no, almost other way. Like I, I 
didn't have sex sober for a long time. Like I was sexually ah. active. I just not sober. There was a lot of like lights off, lots of alcohol. Let's not remember this. Yeah, because it wasn't a pleasurable experience for you at all. No, at all. I mean, I was just so stressed out the whole time. In case of being discovered, right? Right, exactly. And yeah, so it's just so much is like tied in there with like, and you know, right before we came live, we were talking yeah. about like, I used to play this game with myself about what would I prefer to be skinny or to not have the scars? And I don't know, you know, it's, I'm happy where I am. I wouldn't choose either because going through what I did made me who I am today. And I don't think I would have had the the grit or the will to change had I not suffered something like that. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds awful, but sometimes I feel like a certain level of pain or internal turmoil and suffering can also bring about greatness in you. It like, you know, you're kind of like forced into finding the strongest parts of yourself to keep on. Fully agree with that because it's funny because before coming on here, I was teaching a class on trauma and the glasses we put on our eyes, Mm -hmm. looking at our trauma makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. We either look at it from a scarcity lack mindset or what you just described, an abundance. Like, what am I going to get out of this? And what am I going to learn? And how am I going to become a better version of myself? Right. So let's get to that. So now we have this scarring, we have body shaming, we have weight issue, and now we had a child, we're depressed, we're postpartum, life is not going well. No, life was not going well. I felt very out of control with everything. I also had a history of, so I never had a history of restricting. I mean, I think I did at maybe some points, but my overall theme, the way I hurt myself with food in my life was I used food as a form of self-harm to the point of like, binging to making myself sick. I mean, it was, and so I, and I've always loved to cook. Of course, it was part of my job. It was weird. So I found, I did the whole 30 program was like my, was my gateway. I would say the catalyst, but it was interesting that what that did for me was start a practice of self-care that wasn't there before. So let me ask you this. How did the whole 30 came to even your realm of attention? Instagram. <laughs> Instagram. Okay. Instagram. I saw Terry at No Crumbs Left and like Feisty Kitchen and some of these people who were really like chef okay. and gourmet and the beautiful pictures. And I saw their, they were talking about this and I was like, I'm going to try that. Why not? With the hope of helping you feel better or just to try it, to try it? I just honestly, I think I liked the rules because ah. at that point I didn't have any control over where I was living. I didn't have any control over what I was doing. I was living in a hotel with my toddler and my dog. And mm. I was, <laughs> I just felt like I had been like chewed up and spit out. And just like, I felt like the military is ruining my life. Why did they <laughs> send me to this island? And so that seemed like a very control based program, okay. which it is, it is, which I think I, is maybe not right for everyone at every point. Like I wouldn't do one right now in my life, Mm -hmm. but at that moment is what I needed. And it did, it was a catalyst, like I said, but eventually what I did was I fell into the trap. Like I think a lot of people do. It Mm -hmm. it ended up becoming a slightly yo-yo ish situation going on there for a little while. So you went back to binging. Yeah. And it's funny because I was just like binging on like paleo food. Yeah, I know. I I binged on keto bread. (laughs) Right. And so that happened for a while. And I went through the steps, let's say, of like self-realization where I realized I was self-sabotaging. I'm a self-sabotager. Holy moly. Lifelong self-sabotager. And 
it wasn't until I started working with an energy healer mm. that my mother told me to like, you know, what recommended. Yeah. And she, we had this amazing conversation and she was like, I'm going to release you of like, like someone's sabotaging you and it's, it's you, you're doing it to yourself. <laughs> and so we discussed that we released it. And I it just, I think just bringing it to my attention and saying it out loud and sharing that with someone, I became very self-aware of that habit of mine. And that's when I became really serious about, okay, I need to do better for myself. I deserve better. I deserve to be happy. And I think believing that for the first time ever <laughs> was life-changing. It's crazy how simply bringing awareness mm -hmm. to who we are and how we interact with life is 50% of the work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think another thing that was that a lot of us, we don't validate our own experiences. Like I always thought I don't have enough trauma. Like I never went through anything that traumatic for me to be so sad or upset or have these feelings, these dark feelings, because I'm surrounded by people who, you know, abuse and like fleeing a communist country. Like my parents are Cuban. My grandfather died in political prisoner in Cuba, like crazy stories surround me. And so I'm like, I was this girl who grew up in a loving family like boohoo, my parents got divorced. Like, why am I traumatized? But talking to this energy healer, there were moments like changing schools in the third grade. My parents divorced. Like, doesn't matter if it's not that big of a deal compared to someone else's story. In my story, in my life, in my head, at that moment when I was an eight-year-old girl, it was trauma. And that stuck with me for a really long time. Obviously, I was still holding on to those feelings at 30 years old. So I want to hold on here. And I want you guys to all like rewind this and re-listen it again. It's not coming from me. I am telling you, it doesn't, you cannot grade your trauma. Mm -hmm. You cannot put it like, oh, it's only a two on a science scale of five. It doesn't matter. Doesn't and matter. It, even physically, I'm just taking a course on trauma at a higher degree. And you know what happened? I don't know if you know that it's our nervous system actually gets rewired. Mm -hmm. It like it's not just in our head. It's like literally physically your nervous system gets rewired from trauma that you believe is trauma. It's irrelevant on the scale of trauma, you believe it to be traumatizing, it rewires your nervous system. Right. It's crazy. Absolutely. And one of the things that I felt very deeply when I was a child, and this is something I was able to like uncover. I mean, I always knew it, but I was so validated when this, and I don't know why I needed a, a stranger to tell me this so it could be validated, but she said it. And it, it, she, she's like, you felt that your mother loved your sister more like that. Obviously I know that now not to be true, but in my reality, in my head, when I was a child, I believed that my mother preference, my like preferred my sister. And believing that, that being my truth when I was eight or nine or 10, obviously manifested itself in a lot of ways. Like, I think, you know, in one, I'm the only one of my sisters that's overweight and I've always been overweight since I was a child. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one of the three of us that has autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely believe that I manifested this chronic illness because of that emotion that I had when I was a child. Absolutely. I mean, we can explain it from so many levels, from Chinese medicine to Ayurvedic medicine. I mean, if we just look at, uh, for those of us who know of chakras, I don't know if you know of chakras. Yes, I mean, yeah. your root chakras is your like roots is your upbringing. And if that is violated or at threat, it affects your immune system. Right. It's, right. it's just, it's explainable. So, wow. 
That's yeah. Thank you for it's, sharing that. Yeah, of course. It's been eye opening. I went through a phase where I was almost sad that I hadn't worked through this when I was younger. But at the same time, maybe I wasn't ready. And sometimes these things you have to have a certain you have to be ready for it to process these emotions because it's not easy. Like the healing process itself is not like overnight. Like even after these conversations with this woman, I remember feeling, I don't almost like an amputee. Like I was grieving the loss of my grief, if that makes sense in a weird way. But I also feel that once I got past that, it was a huge turning point in my healing because despite elimination diets and despite doing working out or just whatever just doesn't matter what I was doing physically that was the most important work I did had I not worked through those emotions and had I not been able to because of that like start my practice of self-love like rediscovering my relationship with myself and like believing that I deserve to be healthy and happy like, you know, doesn't matter. Everything else would have been, everything else would have been in vain, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, that's what I see every day, right? And that's what I do. What I do is because there's a ton of people sharing about protocol of diets and dietary approach and all of that, but there's not enough people helping people do what you just did with that energy worker that got you better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's working through our emotion. So let me ask you this, this person whom you work with, was that when you were doing the whole 30? That was, I've done stuff. I've done six rounds of whole 30. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And I've done, and the autoimmune protocol. So that was during all of, I think when I did that was, it was after I had done the autoimmune protocol. And you know what, despite all the whole thirties, despite the autoimmune yeah. protocol, despite I was so stuck, I had been done. I'd been followed all the rules for so long. Yeah. Right? Those rules that once made me feel better. Eventually they weren't serving me anymore. And I felt like, okay, I feel like I'm in control of these things. I was more at home. I was finally happy in Hawaii. My sunset was starting preschool. You know, I was starting to see the light in the tunnel, but I felt stagnant. I felt heavy inside. Like my mom, I kept telling her, mom, I feel like I'm stuck in the mud. Like I'm doing everything right, everything I can. And she's like, you know what? She's like, look, and my sister too, God bless the women in my family that they're so intuitive. And I just, I love them. And they were like, look inward. She's like, you keep controlling things that you can see. How about the things you can't see, Christina? <laughs> and I was like, okay. I know. They're they're awesome. I love my my mom and my sisters. And so I was like, okay, fine, you're right. Yeah, my mom had done a lot of work with this woman. I mean, everyone sees her. My sisters, my nieces, everybody. We got everyone in the family going. <laughs> and so, We're gonna heal the whole world. <laughs> yeah. And so it's funny because my I was like, I was super skeptical. Not that I'm not into the woo-woo stuff, but I was like, mom, there's no way this woman can like do it over the phone. Like that sounds no, that's just not and that's not a thing. She's like, listen, energy transcends time and space. She can do she says she can do it on the phone. She can do it. I was like, all right. And and I'm gonna add to this scientifically, it's not necessarily about energy healing. And I know some of those are like, Well, you're going overboard here, but yeah. It's the simple fact that you were coached right. to look at this from a different lens. It, absolutely, absolutely. Whatever she wants to call it, because uh, people are like, I don't even know what I don't even know what the, the title of this woman is. Like, what her actual job is irrelevant. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It helped. I was like, that's like ten years of therapy, and like, and granted, it was like a three-hour conversation, and we had several sessions, but it was what I needed. Yeah. End of story. That's all I need to know. It was what I needed. So. You do that, and then what happened to your autoimmune conditions? 
it, that's when I finally achieved, I had seen improvement in my symptoms, but I hadn't seen full remission until after that. Okay. So for people listening, give us a little highlight. So anyone suffering from an autoimmune condition, we typically don't talk about food here. So, but anyone typically or suffering from an autoimmune condition, there is a dietary therapeutic diet for that. Correct. Yeah. The autoimmune protocol, which is a very strict elimination diet. The good thing about that, it's not about like calories or like, Mm -hmm. you know, you can eat as much as you want, but it's about eliminating any possible inflammatory foods. It's designated to remove any food that could permeate or harm the gut. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you add foods in one back one at a time because we each have very unique like triggers. Right. And so I had done that and I was pretty much aware of my trigger foods at that point, but I was still not seeing complete remission. And like I said, the nature of my autoimmune disease of my skin, because skin conditions, first of all, are super freaking tough. Like they tend to be, they're notoriously harder to manage than like other than internal things. Mm-hmm. And I think I've seen a pretty big pattern and especially in other, in support groups, I guess, of people with my condition, the emotional side, there's a lot, especially because of the way this disease manifests physically in the way it does. There tends to be an underlying, usually emotional theme or trauma and all that. So we had, it was interesting where I went from, okay, I see correlation between food and flares, but sometimes while I'm doing everything right, I'll still flare without a reason where that kind of went away. It was all of a sudden, like, I'm at the point right now where I am in remission unless I eat a trigger food, right? Which I don't. I, I don't because I, I choose not to because I choose not to live in chronic pain. But I know that overall my body is healed. Like, I don't have that underlying inflammation. And it's, it's like a sensation when you don't, I don't hate it. any. I don't resent it anymore. I'm not at odds. I began to communicate with my body. I began to honor it. I practice, there's this like Hawaiian practice of reconciliation. Ponopono? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's how I go to sleep at night. Every night. I'm, I'm love you. I, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. You know, every night to myself because I really resented my body for so long. I really hated it for so long. Like, and I remember thinking I need to go to therapy because of how much I hate my inner thighs. <laughs> like I remember thinking like, I hate this part of my body after I had my son, especially And between the scars of like the HS, which are on my inner thighs, like surrounding, you know, around obviously my vagina, Hmm. then having an 11 pound baby through my, yes, naturally. To that same place. (laughs) Yes. And stitches and hemorrhoids and everything else. I was like, I hate my lady parts and I don't, and I don't know if I can ever reconcile with them. And, you know, I did, thankfully, but it's not as much as looking at something and saying, I find you beautiful now. Because I get that, like, there are some things you're going to look at and you're, I'm not going to, I don't look at my scars and say, look at my beautiful scars. I just look at my body as a whole because I don't compartmentalize my body Mm. because I am not just my scars. I am all of me. We have a concept here that we, and I'm sure you heard me talk about that body neutrality, Mm -hmm. right? Which is the in-between body shaming and I love my scar, look at my beautiful scar situation. Right. So I'm happy you go down there because, and I'm happy you say like, you're not like saying to the world, look at my scar, they're beautiful. Right. Because for many women, 
going there, it's like scary. It's never going to happen. It's impossible to even go there. Right. And body neutrality and compartmentalization, the French thing here, right. <laughs> I think is a great way of looking at it. Like you're not just your ties, you're your whole body. Right, exactly. And I think people, we tend to focus because when we see, like I know when I look at a picture of somebody, my eyes will still go to certain parts of their body. Like I go to inspect the inner thigh or the underarm and I might yeah. look at the clear skin, right? It happens inherently. But I'm not, you know, it's that self-correction of like, look at them as a whole. Because at the end of the day, I don't know, like when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm not just looking at one part of my body. I'm looking at all of me. And I think that it's okay to get to that point. Like my sister, my sister and I, my sister who's never had autoimmune diseases, my older sister who's never been overweight ever. I was actually had, we had very opposite experiences. Like she was almost like popular for her figure in high school. Hmm. But we had a very interesting conversation last summer where she had, she has all this emotional trauma from her youth because of her body. And I'm like, what do you mean? You had the perfect body that everyone wanted. And, but the, the pressure of that was so much for her that she had issues being intimate with people because she's like, I feel like men, like the boys in our class and the men I dated, they almost put an unreal expectation of what I would look like naked or what I would be like that I didn't want to ruin the fantasy. So I just never was intimate with anybody. Hmm. And I remember thinking like, we just sat there, both of us with these complete opposite experiences and how we both were hurt, you know, by just expectations <laughs> and how much, how such bullshit that two young, beautiful women, you know, have emotional trauma because of the expectations on their body and both ends of the spectrum. Right. Yeah. And it's astromatizing no matter which end of the spectrum you're in. Exactly. Exactly. So what did you do like concretely, or what would you say to women who have the body image issue for whatever reason, scars or weight or whatever right. to get over it and get to a place of neutrality and wholesome acceptance of your body? So my biggest thing, the biggest thing that for me was like actionable. And I know this is a little hard for some people to hear, but you have to be honest with yourself. I lied to myself for a lot of my life. I lied about if I drank too much. I lied about if I, you know, lied about where I was going or, you know, cause I have history of drug use hmm. and that kind of thing. I just, I lied so much, not just to other people, but myself. And so being honest with myself about my intentions about like, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because it's going to serve me or am I doing this because I want to lose weight. You know, I feel like we fall into that trap so much where we say we're doing this to really help ourselves, but really it's just, we're just lying ourselves into over-restricting something. So I was honest. That, so that's a huge thing, right? How many people go into whole 30 keto paleo saying mm -hmm. it's about my health, mm -hmm. but really it's about losing weight. Right. And you can't do that to yourself anymore because you're never going to get there. You're never going to actually be happy if that's how you start, right? You have to start from a place of self-love. You have to be honest with yourself. And that took me a long time because I come from, my mother yo-yo dieted her whole life. And I watched my mother gain weight and lose weight and gain weight and lose weight. And every time she gained weight, she was miserable. And so that, what did that teach me? That taught me that, you know, being overweight was not a happy place. And I was overweight all the time. So I was never happy. And so it was so hardwired into me my mom right now, she also has several autoimmune diseases. 
And I recently put her on one of my healing protocols for inflammation. And I had to like yell at her, mother, if you're hungry, you have to eat. This is not about losing weight. If I'm going to call my stepdad, I'm going to call your sister. I'm going to call your employees. If I find out that you're not eating, I'm going to fly down there and I'm going to kick your ass because you're not going to heal if you're hungry. And she has Hashimoto's and she has adrenal fatigue. And I'm like, lady, lady, I will mm." like, she's wrecked her metabolism from over restriction for years. So I had to stop lying to myself because I realized that that was the most liberating thing ever. When I was honest with myself, I felt good about what I was doing. And when you feel good about yourself, you want to keep doing what you're doing. And the second thing I will say, and I know it's, this is another thing, you have to talk to yourself. I talk to myself all the time. I, with the Ho'oponono, I have affirmations. And even though it sounds weird or maybe like not organic at first, I write them down. You can post them on your mirror. You can put them on the fridge. Affirmations. I love myself. I deserve to be happy. I deserve to thrive. I want to succeed today. Whatever it is you want from your day, from your life, from your relationship with yourself, write it down, read it, repeat it. I deserve and receive love every second of every day. That's my favorite one. I got it from Jen Sincero of You Are a Badass. That book's good. I deserve and receive love every second of every day. And I hold my rose quartz as I say it and I repeat it. And I know it's so hard for people to think that something that arbitrary is going to change their life, but it will. You believe something, you say it enough, it's going to manifest itself. Well, yeah, totally. I mean, it's scientifically demonstrated. I teach it in the academy, scientifically proven that visualization and the big piece, and I don't know if you do that, when you say it, you feel it, Mm -hmm. right? It's one thing to say it. If you just say it while feeling like stuff, crap, it's not going to happen. You got to say it and feel it. Right, right. I actually- The trigger to make it work. So I visualize. So it's weird. Yes. It's funny because I, I, I hold my rose quartz. And one of the one of the ways I visualize it happening is almost like a pink glow. There you <laughs> go. Rose quartz that like surrounds me and the world. And in my head, that's how I'm visualizing it. And it's like this influx and, and the glow is coming toward me and leaving me also. So it's like I visualize it's coming and going, the love. It's it's both ways. And those two things, and they're actionable. Those are action. I know people are like, oh, whatever. But no, that, those are actionable mm. tips, people. Be honest with yourself and daily affirmations. Like I am a food blog. My work is very, because I'm a chef, I like to cook, right? I write recipes. That's what I do. But when people come to me and say, I've been on and off, right? The wagon. And I have this whole thing where I'm like, burn the goddamn wagon. But yeah, I'm like, burn it. There's no wagon. Like there is no spoon. There is no wagon, right? But I have a a self-care challenge on my blog. And I always refer people. I'm like, if you're messaging me and you have feelings of failure, if you're telling me that you think you failed, that you keep failing, that I can't do it, anytime I see those those words for me are big red flags. And I'm like, okay, you know what? It's not about the food. It's not about the food. You got to look inward. Go do the self-care challenge. So you're going to send me that link and we're going to link it in the show notes yeah. so people can go there because I think that's another great tip. Now, here's one more question because for some listener... They're like, oh my God, I didn't know there was a therapeutic diet for AIP. They're going to go in and find it. They're going to go buy your book, which by the way, we'll talk about, but I love, I haven't, like we're recording this before the book comes out, so I don't have a copy, but I've been watching her cooking on her Instagram. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, I got to get this book. <laughs> yeah. So the book is mainly based around the autoimmune protocol. It mashes up pretty much like when you look at 
the health food, the wellness world right now. Everyone has like their camp, right? Yeah. And everyone feels so like, this is the way. And I'm kind of like, I went in here and I just want to feel good. And I realized like, I, you know, no one's way was working for me. So I made my own. Mm-hmm. So it's a mix. It mixes autoimmune protocols, so really anti-inflammatory recipes, very allergen-friendly cookbook. It's nut-free, dairy-free, nightshade-free. But so Mark Sisson very graciously wrote my foreword. And I love that he said something about the book. He's like, it's not about what you can't eat. The book is really about just eating really good food that's going to make you feel good. And at the end of the day, that's what I wanted to create. I wanted to create recipes that you want to make because cooking is fun and cooking is therapeutic and it's a great hobby and it's so great to connect with ingredients. And so it's really a tool for anyone who really wants to learn to cook from scratch, to cook whole foods. And it is very based on anti-inflammatory foods to heal the gut, balance blood sugar, kill cravings, all that stuff. And it's, it's made by a chef. It is. I was a restaurant chef. No, no arms to any other food, like recipe book author, but like the quality of those Instagram recipes you've been doing for a week now, it's like, <laughs> oh my God, that's the next level of cooking I'm looking for. <laughs> Thank you. I am very honored that I get to share this with people. And as a restaurant chef and someone who creates free recipes online, there's tons of really good ones on my blog. But in the book, I really wanted to create something that you wouldn't find somewhere else. And so I'm very excited for people. I just think it's going to help people. And that's, that's really what I want to do because it makes me happy. We'll have a link to the book on Amazon in the show notes. And, but I want to talk, ask you one last thing. Sure. And we can talk about it as long as we need to. But so people have an AIP, they go on this protocol, which means a lot of food you can't eat. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's two camp there. There's like, oh my God, I'm so restricted. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my God, I'm doing good for my body. Like, how did you get from I'm so restricted the first time you came across AIP to where you are today? So it can be a very lonely thing at, for when you first go AIP because it can feel really restricted. I will say I kind of had this whole emotional mourning process before I jumped into it. So, like, I huh. did that whole 30 and was paleo for several months knowing that what I really needed to do to get better was the AIP. And I kind of chewed on it, right? Mm. I processed those emotions. And in a weird way, it was almost like a very slow introduction. So I kind of gave up, it was paleo already, but let me give up coffee first. And then maybe alcohol next week, like no more wine. Mm. And eventually I was like, okay, I think I'm close enough to the AIP right now that going full AIP won't be that traumatic. And I tell people that you don't have to be perfect from day one. I get it. Like everything you see online and all the AIP bloggers and they look like they've been doing this forever. No, we all had a day one. We had a day zero. A lot of us, if you go back to our backstory, we have the same story. It took us a long time to finally jump head in because it's a hell of a commitment and it's okay to feel scared and overwhelmed because that's totally normal because we all did. So that's my first thing. Like it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't have to, you don't have to take it on all at once. But once I dove in and I felt it was very cathartic for me, I think because I had done a lot in my history and my life to hurt my body, staying up too late, drinking too much drugs. I used to smoke cigarettes. Hey, oh, me too. Like, <laughs> until I got, yeah. I mean, I did a lot to hurt myself in the past. And yeah. so making these choices that although they were difficult choices, I knew they were helping me 
it felt good. It was very rewarding for me to be like, okay, I'm doing this. And eventually I had a lot of fun getting creative in the kitchen with it. I always say like, I think because maybe I was like, my parents are Cuban immigrants, but I'm really good at being very inventive. Like right now I just moved and I don't have anything in the kitchen. And like last night I was cooking on Instagram and I'm like, I have to boil eggs. I'm like boiling eggs in my kettle. I saw that. In my tea kettle. And I'm just like, you know, I'm a make it work kind of gal. And I, that's what I do with the AIP. I'm like, you know what? I can't eat all these things. Challenge accepted. Let's make some good food anyway. And I did. I created some very delicious recipes and I was thoroughly enjoying the food I was eating when I was on my elimination phase. And I really think that that was a big part of my success. I wasn't so hung up on what I couldn't have, but I was really enjoying what I could have and how it was making me feel. I think what's centric here is that you went to a place where your food was a demonstration of your love for yourself. Absolutely. I used food as a form of self-harm for so long that changing that to a form of like self of worshiping myself, creating these meals, like, Hey, if you're taking the time to grocery shop and cook from scratch to feed your body, hell yeah, that's a form of self care. Mm -hmm. Like that's a whole thing. Like I just dedicated an hour to make my insides feel good. Like that's dedication to yourself. And instead of being like bogged down by that, I was like, this kind of rocks. I'd never dedicated that much to myself. Like I've never been someone who did my hair or spent hours doing my makeup, or even getting dressed. Like, so this is the longest I'd ever spent on myself cooking myself these meals. And it felt really good. I think it's the next level up of showing yourself love. And then that shows up in not feeling restricted. Absolutely. And food is my love language. I mean, if, if I want to, my husband, it's his birthday. I'm like, baby, what do you want me to cook for you? Like I cook for people to show them that I love them. Like my mom's the same way, you know, it's like, what do you want for your birthday? I'll go, I'll buy you an ahi tuna, you know, for real. One year was ahi tuna. The next year it was like truffles. I don't know. That's how we did. So, and you know, a family of foodies, right. And showing myself that same form of love. It was awesome. It felt really good. And I also learned a lot about my body. Like I remember being pregnant and like reading the blogs of, or like the, what you should be feeling thing. Uh-huh. I was not in tune with my body when I was pregnant. I had no idea what was going on in there. <laughs> and it wasn't until I started doing this that I think I just decluttered my life of so much excess noise and input and other things that weren't like serving me. And I just, just so focused on healing, on nourishing, on resting and listening to cues, right? Because when you're on this protocol, you also have to watch for signs of inflammation in your body because you journal everything like bowel movement, sleep, headache. So you're really in tune. And, but that was the amazing learning experience that I've continued. And the conversation with my body has evolved and we continue right now. It's like, I'm very in tune with my body's needs and it's great. It's amazing. Cause it's like the best indicator for my health, you know? And two things on that, they will continue to carry you on to be healthy and prevent disease naturally. Mm -hmm. And two, you'll be able to teach that to your kids. Absolutely. And another great thing about getting in tune with your body, because I know it's not easy. And when people used to tell me eat intuitively, Ugh. I'm like eating intuitively to like eating my way intuitively through the ice cream mile. <laughs> You know, like, yes, that's how I, I didn't know. I didn't know how my, like the lights on my dash were not working, but now that they are, I'm really big on intuitive eating. I don't track. I tell people all the time, like I crave weird things like olives and liver or, you know, I don't know. Like, I really think that 
because I'm honest with myself about my needs, because I know what my symptoms are of different things, I can truly nourish myself and give my body rest when it needs it, hydration when it needs it, quiet time when it needs it, you know, physical touch, whatever, all the things we need to thrive. Your body knows you just have to like cue in to the signals. It goes beyond the food. Exactly. Absolutely. The food is just the beginning. And it can be, it's the beginning or the platform that will allow you to start decluttering, as you said, so you can see the truth. That's true. It can be very, like, it's the one drug, let's say, like my mom for a while, I think she was going to like a Overeaters Anonymous meetings mm -hmm. because she was just at such a low point in her life. And one of the things they talk about, it's like, it's this one drug that you can't abstain from. It's legal. It's legal. <laughs> and you can't live without it. Exactly. So, you know, you have to eat. It's going to be a part of your life. And food is very woven into our society. Culturally, yes. we're attached to food. I mean, for me, being Latin, like I'm Cuban. Oh, are you kidding me? Like food is everything. It's part of my cultural identity. So learning that I didn't have to give up that cultural identity, learning that I didn't have to give up my love. Like I thought, and very a la whole 30 is very like food void of emotion. And I thought that's what I wanted for a while. But then I realized like, no, that's not true. That's not true for me. You know, it's physiologically and neuroscience demonstrated that it's not true. Right. It's impossible. It's you impossible. Separate food and emotion, right. Instead of trying to push down fight emotions it. or fight it, I realized let's embrace it, but let's do this in a way that's going to benefit me. And all that circles back to self-love and knowing that I was deserving of it. I think it's a like I'm getting goosebump right now. So which intuitively tells me we're impacting a lot of people. So we're going to like end it here because that's a beautiful way of ending it. And I want people to really consider if you are at a place where you never consider food as medicine to go get your book. Oh, thank you so much. Go get the book. And see it, not from a place of restriction, from a place of self-love. Oh, absolutely. Always. Love begets love. You cannot, nothing will grow from darkness, right? Yes. And then follow you on Instagram because you're really inspiring. Oh, thank you. You're really inspiring because you're completely transparent. You're like me, no makeup, hair in a ponytail. <laughs> yeah. Here's real life. <laughs> I live in gym clothes and my shirt's usually dirty. <laughs> exactly. So I think you're really inspiring and I cannot thank you enough for being who you are and being transparent with your story and through that inspiring other women to take the leap to try this whole self-love possibility growth thing. Thank you, Stephanie. Likewise, likewise, you do such important work and I really admire that. Thank you so much. My first diet was at 14 years old. I spent years trying to figure out what was the right diet for me, the right quantity of food to eat, when to eat it. What's worse is that I was seeing the same in my patients. I struggle with craving, overeating on healthy food, emotional eating and binging no matter what diet I was on. Keto, paleo, organic, whole food, nothing was stopping it. No one spoke about struggling and I felt so alone and broken and you may be feeling the same maybe you're thinking the more restriction has to be the solution if only I could be tougher with myself I wouldn't crave and have those urges and if it doesn't stop right now where are you going to end up 
You see, what most struggling women never, ever realize is that your relationship to food is simply a reflection to your relationship with yourself. Sadly, most people rely on outdated strategy like restriction, dieting, willpower, and discipline, and they think that is the solution. Things like black and white mindset, diet pills, or cheat days to control their urges. But you and I both know that being a normal eater is nothing but that. So that's why I want to peel back the curtain and show you exactly how I have changed my relationship to food and how I teach my student to stop overeating, binging, and emotional eating to move to food freedom. And quite frankly, it's different from anything you've ever heard before. I have created an audio training program entitled How to Change Any Eating Habit, specifically the one that is sabotaging you. And inside of that training, I'll show you the three strategies that I use and that I teach that create consistency and confidence that you need to change your eating habit without willpower and discipline. Plus, I'll coach you on specific exercise you need to do in order to implement these strategies successfully in your own life. In order to help women like yourself engage with food in a completely different perspective so that you can stop craving, overeating, binging, and using food to feel better. So if you are ready to step into a new version of yourself that can change permanently the relationship to food that you have right now, head over to stephaniedodzie.com slash training. And I'll see you on the other side.